Good morning, everyone. The anticipation with the lights. Well, I like it. Anyways, good to be with all of you this morning. My name is Adam, and we are going to continue on in our series uh, called The Final Countdown, where we are talking about end of the world kind of stuff. And this is going to be the final message in this series as we continue to talk about how we should live in these present moments with what we know about the future. And then as, as we wrap up this series, we're going to move on to a new series on relationships. And I think it's going to be super practical and super invitable. And we'll have these invite cards in the back if you want to pick some of those up to invite some people that you know. I really think there's a lot of people who might not recognize their need for Jesus, but maybe they recognize their need to get some help in navigating some important relationships in their life. And maybe this is what God can use to get them through the doors, get connected with people who love Jesus and sit under teaching from God's word. So I just want to encourage you to pick up those invite cards on your way out. So back to talking about the end of the world. One of the disciples of Jesus named Peter, the guy who walked on water, at least for a little bit, wrote a book of the Bible, and believe it or not, we call it First Peter. And in this book of the Bible, he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Now, I've got a question for you that you've probably thought through before, and that is, if you only had one day left to live, what would you do? How would you spend your last 24 hours? Would you take that dream vacation that you've always wanted to go on, or try to spend time with as many family members as possible. I mean, the list could go on and on of all the things that you could do in your last 24 hours. But I've got a slightly different version of that question for us to think through. And that is, if you and everyone else only had one day left before the end of the world, what would you do? So we're not just talking about your last 24 hours For the last 24 hours for everybody else, how would you spend your time? And as I was thinking about this question for myself, it hit me that I would not spend my time going to Disney World or just trying to do some crazy fun experience like skydiving. And I wouldn't make it my priority to do anything like that that I could do in heaven someday. Is there going to be skydiving in heaven? I like to think so. I, I really believe heaven is not just like some eternal church service that's super boring. It's where we can be in the presence of God and enjoy his creation, enjoy this world and how it is or how it would be without sin and corruption. And so there's a lot of things in this life that I would love to do, but I just remind myself that if I miss out on doing that fun thing in this life, I'll probably have the opportunity to do that in heaven someday. So when I think about the last 24 hours for me and everybody else, I think about the one thing that none of us can do in heaven. There's one thing that you can't do in heaven, and that is lead somebody to faith in Jesus. And so that's what I would want to use my time in this life uh, for. And as much as I want Jesus to come back and to come back soon and to fix all the problems in this world and to rule with peace and justice and for there to be no more sin and corruption, 
I know that every day that Jesus doesn't come back is an opportunity for somebody who doesn't know him as their Savior to turn to him in faith and have hope for eternal life. And so that means that all of us have this opportunity. Every day that Jesus does not show up is an opportunity for us to tell other people about the message and the hope of Jesus. But along with sharing the message of Jesus, something else that is super important is the way that we live our lives. Because our thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors can either give credit to the message of Jesus or it can discredit the message of Jesus if it doesn't line up with the way that Jesus lived. So let me just give you a couple examples. How would you feel about somebody eating a double cheeseburger telling you that the vegan lifestyle is the way to go? All right, probably discredits what he's saying. Or another one, somebody who is on their third divorce but is a marriage counselor trying to tell you how to fix your marriage. You're like, ah, probably not buying it. Or somebody who doesn't exercise at all is trying to convince you that he has the perfect workout plan to get you in shape like better than you've ever been before. All right, probably not. Or somebody who's just sinking in debt, trying to tell you that you can, or that this person has all the right ideas for investing your money and setting you up for financial success in the future. And so the way that we live our lives as Christians is really important when it comes to sharing the message of Jesus, because the way that we live can either give credit to the message of Jesus or it can discredit the message of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll also have it up here on the screen. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word and you would like one, we do have some Bibles just beyond those doors. That is a free gift for you if you would like to take one home. We would love everybody to have access to what God says in His Word. So 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, this is written by one of the disciples of Jesus, and he wrote this as a letter to a bunch of Christians who are spread out in these provinces that are today modern-day Turkey. And during Peter's day, these provinces were under the rule of the Romans, and the Christians who were living in these areas were suffering from extreme persecution and their neighbors were mistreating them because they didn't participate in the worldly lifestyles of people around them. And as we dig into God's word this morning, I think what we're going to see is that the best approach to a hostile world is a holy and humble life. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Now, I used to read these verses and be like, what? Who would ever be mistreated for doing the right thing? And I don't know if I thought that just because I was younger and more naive, or if because our culture is shifting in a direction where we're seeing more and more persecution for Christians and people who stand up for biblical values. 
And I really do think that our culture is moving in a direction that is more and more reflecting the kind of culture that Peter and these other Christians were living in back in this day. I've heard this story of this Christian who was working for a business, and there were a bunch of other guys working the same shift as him. And these other guys working for this business had this system going where one of the guys would show up to work on time, clock himself in, and then clock in all the other guys who were supposed to be working on the shift. And then the other guys would show up late and then still collect their salary for working that whole shift. And so these guys were really just ragging on the Christian in the group because this Christian wouldn't come in and clock in other guys who weren't there, wouldn't cheat the system or cheat his employer. And so he was mistreated for doing the right thing. I also have a friend who spent some time in the Marines, and while he was in boot camp, the drill instructors found out that he was a Christian. And so they made him and everybody else in the group do push-ups nonstop until my Christian friend would say a curse word. And so they're punishing him for his values and punishing these other guys in the group and really just fueling resentment for my Christian friend and his values that he didn't want to compromise on. I've also heard a bunch of examples of Christian business owners who've gotten into lawsuits because they don't support homosexual marriage or people who are canceled from media platforms because of their Christian values. And these aren't just all like outlying stories. Maybe some of this hits close to home for you where your Christian values have rubbed people the wrong way and then they've treated you very poorly for what you believe in. And when that happens in our lives, it can be really easy to want to just follow the not-so-golden rule. And the not-so-golden rule is treat other people the way that they treat you. Like if somebody's nice to you, then you can be nice back to them. But if somebody is just mean and rude to you, then you have a reason to treat them the way that they treat you. But this isn't the way that Jesus calls us to live as Jesus followers. And I think that Jesus, more than anyone else who's ever walked the face of this earth, knows what it's like to be perfectly innocent, to always do the right thing, and yet be severely mistreated. If you just go back in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 22, it talks about what Jesus went through on the cross. It says, He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So Jesus, who is perfectly innocent without any sin in his life, was insulted, mocked, spit on, tortured, and even suffered an awful execution the way that people would execute criminals. 
And all the while, Jesus didn't fight back. And it's not that Jesus was incapable of retaliating. All Jesus had to do was say the words or snap his fingers, and armies of angels could have come down from heaven and defeated the Romans and rescued Jesus from the cross and set him up as king over everyone. But it wasn't the timing for that. And Jesus was trusting judgment to stay in God's hands instead of taking judgment into his own hands. And all the while that Jesus was mocked and insulted, Jesus could have insulted other people right back, but he chose not to. And Jesus' example is the example that we have to follow as Christians. And this is a really high bar that Jesus is setting. I don't know if I'll ever fully... I know I won't in this life ever fully follow the example of Jesus and to reach that bar that he's setting. But it is our calling as Christians as best as we can to model after the way that he lives his life. And the point for us here is that when you get hurt, your response communicates what you really believe. Like sometimes when we go through the hard times in life or when we're really mistreated, That can become the best opportunity to show what we really believe. And sometimes we can show that to be good, that we're believing and following God's ways. Or sometimes the hard times in our lives show that we're really following the patterns of this world. Like when you get hurt, when you go through hard times, are you going to trust that God has vengeance in his hands and he will repay people for their wrong? Or... Do you think that you need to make other people pay for the wrong that they've done to you? Or do you really believe that following Jesus is always the best way to live? Or do your actions show that you think, ah, the Bible's more like a guideline and sometimes there's exceptions and I can just do things my own way? And if we just live like the rest of the world and repay evil with evil, then we blend in with how other people live their lives And people might not even think bad of you for that. They might even say, yeah, stand up for yourself. Don't let people talk to you that way. They did that to you. Oh, you better get them back this way. But if we live differently, when people mistreat us, if we respond to them with grace and love, then that will make us stand out as Christians. And that can be an incredible opportunity to tell them about what's really different in our lives and that is Jesus. So going back to chapter 3 in verse 15, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So why would somebody ask you about what your hope is as a believer? I think what Peter is implying here is that when we go through hard times in life, specifically when people mistreat us and we respond to them with grace and with love, and that stands out from the rest of the world and how other people live their lives so that when those who watch what happened to us, they'll be like, what? why did you show them love? How could you respond in that way? That's so different. And that's the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And I don't think this only applies to when people mistreat us, but I think it can, can apply to other situations in our lives where we go through something really hard, but we can go through it with a relationship with Jesus that makes all of the difference. 
I mean, maybe you've experienced some health issues or you've wrestled through cancer and you've been able to go through that still trusting in God. It doesn't make it easy, but you trust God or you have peace knowing that it's in his hands and you can still have joy even when everything else in your life seems to be falling apart. And when other people see that example in your life, oftentimes it sparks the question, how? How do you have peace when you're going through that? How can you have such a good attitude? And that's an incredible opportunity to tell people about the hope that you have in Jesus. And so that's the second point. If you have hope, give an explanation for it. And so how do we do that? In verse 16, Peter gives us the answer. He says, But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. And so the best approach to sharing our faith is with gentleness and respect. These two words are so important. I've had a bunch of conversations with different people who are not followers of Jesus. And something that I've heard over and over again is like, wow, you're different than other Christians because my conversations with other Christians is where they like try to shove their beliefs down my throat. And that just breaks my heart because I am all for sharing the message of Jesus. But if we share the message of Jesus without gentleness and without respect, then that's the impression that people can get, that we're just shoving it down their throat. Like we're just treating them like a project and talking at them. As long as we can just say a bunch of things about the message of Jesus, give them a bunch of facts, try to change their mind, then we can check that box for us of, oh yeah, I talked to somebody about Jesus. But if we're just talking at them, then we're not having a two-way conversation and just loving on them and And talking to them, not because we want to check it off our list that we talked about Jesus, but talking to them because we care about them and we know that Jesus makes all of the difference for their life and for eternity. And so something that is so important, I think, for talking to other people about Jesus is building a relationship with them. And that doesn't mean that you can't share the message of Jesus with somebody that you don't know very well or somebody that you haven't met before. But there's a lot of value to building that relationship with somebody because you've probably heard the saying that people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And different people have different reasons for why they don't want to believe in Jesus for salvation. For some people, it's an intellectual or philosophical reason. Like they just believe in materialism and what they can see with their own two eyes and what can be proven by science. And so they struggle with anything supernatural or miraculous, the idea of God. Or other people, they have trouble turning to Jesus for salvation for emotional reasons. And maybe sometime in their past, a loved one died or they were calling out to God, asking him to answer a prayer, maybe even making promises to God, and it just felt like God didn't answer that prayer. And so their mindset is, even if God is real, I'm not even convinced that he's a loving and caring God. Even if God is real, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And there's others who think that 
Christians are just a bunch of religious hypocrites who say one thing and do the other. And so different people have different reasons for why they don't want to embrace Jesus as their leader and forgiver. And I think building a relationship with somebody can be so important for how we go about sharing the message of Jesus. Like the message of Jesus always stays the same. It's always about what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. But the way that we talk about the message of Jesus can look different from person to person in order to engage them based on their experiences or how they are currently viewing God. And the other thing that can be really helpful in sharing our faith is telling the story of how God has worked in our lives. Like if we just try to give somebody a bunch of facts for why Christianity is true, a bunch of proofs for the resurrection of Jesus, they could respond by just arguing with those facts and being like, no, here's what actually what history says. There's no way that's true. But if we share our personal story of what Jesus has done in our lives and the peace and the hope that we have in Jesus, well, people can't really argue with your story. They can't just tell you that your experiences weren't true. And this can be a great way to connect with people and share about God at the same time. My cousin is really good at this. He's a year younger than me. And if anybody has the gift of evangelism, it's my cousin. Like sometimes I struggle with being bold about my faith. My cousin has the opposite problem. And he'll meet somebody for the first time and he'll be like, hey, what's your name? What's your favorite color? What's your deepest sin struggle? Just like zero to a hundred so fast. But I was talking to him on the phone this week and he was telling me about how he's training up a new guy at his job. And day one of knowing this guy, he asked the new guy what his church background is and got into a little bit of a conversation about that. And then my cousin just told him his life story told him about how he was before he was a follower of Jesus and what God has done to change his life. And that was just really encouraging for me to hear and inspiring and how impactful it can be to share our stories. And so people can get to know us, but God, if you're a Christian, then God is such an integral part of your story. And we can share about what God has done in our lives and point to the hope and the peace that other people can also have through Jesus. As we kind of wrap things up this morning, uh, I want to just share with us one way that we can share with other people about the message of Jesus. There's all different ways that you could go about explaining what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I'm not saying there's one way that's better than another way. Like if you've figured out a great way to talk to people about Jesus, that is awesome. Keep on working with that. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, oh yeah, I do want to talk to people about Jesus, but I don't even know where to start. I just want to give you a, a starting point. And what's helpful about this way of sharing the news of Jesus is that it only requires one verse and a writing utensil. So if it only takes one verse, I like it. There's less to remember, and you could write this out on a napkin, and it just kind of gives a visual for what it takes to have a relationship with God. And if you have one of these handouts, you can go ahead and look at it, and it breaks it down into some different stages. And I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, what I draw on the board might be a little bit different than the handout, but you could probably piece it together. And it doesn't have to be 
it doesn't have to be a super uniform way. Like if you want to do it a little bit different than how I do it, that is totally fine as well. But the verse is Romans 6, 23, where the Apostle Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So before getting into that verse, just a little bit of backstory. In the beginning, God created the world, and he created the first humans. And back when God created everything, things were perfect. There was no sin, there was no death, there was no corruption. But all of that changed when the first humans disobeyed God's instruction. And when they did that, they put a divide in between their relationship with God. Sin created kind of like this chasm in the relationship with God. It didn't just separate them from a relationship with God, but this separation is true for all generations after them. All of us have this divided relationship with God. And in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, most of you probably know what a wage is. Like you go to work, you do your work, and then you get paid your wage. Your salary is something that you've earned. And so what Paul is saying here is that what you earn because of sin in your life is death. We all have sin in our lives. There is no perfect person who's ever lived except for Jesus. And so because of this sin in our lives, we have earned death. And death here, I think, is referring to physical death and spiritual death. Like when God first created this world, everything was perfect, and there was no physical death until the first human sinned. And so that's a consequence of sin, but in addition to that, there's spiritual death. And spiritual death is spending all of eternity in separation from the goodness and the glory of God. And so that's the bad news, but the good news here is the next part of the verse. So this transition word is so important. The wages of sin is death, but, now here's the good news, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice there how free gift is contrasted to a wage. We earn death because of our sin, but we can have eternal life not because we've earned it, not because we can just go to church enough times or be a good person and have our good works outweigh our bad works or to say the right kinds of prayers. But we can have eternal life because it is a gift from God. It's something that he offers us that we don't deserve. And so how can we experience this free gift? It is through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus who is the Son of God, came down from heaven to live as a man and to live the perfect life that none of us could ever live. And then when he went to the cross, he was that perfect sacrifice for our sin. And God the Father treated Jesus as if he was guilty for all of our sin so that if we believe in Jesus for salvation, we can be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with God that begins in this life and goes on for all of eternity. And so Jesus is the bridge between us and a relationship with God the Father. 
And the last part of this verse, I think, is also important, where it says, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is not just a good teacher who lived 2,000 years ago, but he is the Son of God who takes away the sins of this world. And a more modern equivalent for the word Lord is leader. So when we talk about people turning to Jesus as their forgiver and leader, this is what we're talking about. People believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and giving their lives over to Jesus and following his leadership for how they go about life. And this isn't the only way that you can share the good news of Jesus, but it's just one more tool for your tool belt if you're looking for a place to start and to connect with people and share with them the good news. As we wrap things up this morning, I just want to end things with the reminder that the one thing that we cannot do in heaven is lead somebody to faith in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to spend the remainder of my life here on this earth. And I think C.S. Lewis is the one who said that there is no such thing as a mere mortal. We don't just rub shoulders with people who live temporary lives because everybody is going to live forever. It's just a matter of where people spend eternity. They can either spend eternity in the presence and the glory of God or spend eternity in separation from God. And Jesus makes all the difference for where somebody spends eternity. And so as followers of Jesus, every day that Jesus does not come back is an opportunity to tell people about the difference that Jesus makes. And so Lord willing, we will see more people in heaven because of this kind of intentionality with the time that God has given us in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are such a good and loving God, that you offer us a gift that we don't deserve. God, we could never deserve to experience your goodness and your glory. Even the goodness that you give us in this life is just a small taste of how things will be in eternity for those of us who have our hope in you. God, it just weighs on my heart when I think about my friends and my neighbors and my family members who don't have a relationship with you. I ask that I would not be comfortable with living in a Christian bubble while they don't have hope in Jesus. God, I ask that you would give all of us a burden for people who don't know you and that we would see people the way that you see them as people who will live for all of eternity. And I ask that we would just be so intentional with the time that you give us here on this earth to be all about the things that last for eternity. And that is the souls of people. And God, we can't do this in our own strength. Um, we're weak, we're broken people. But I thank you for the example of Jesus and the strength that you give us. And I ask that we would rely on you and that you would use us to be incredibly bright lights for you in this dark world. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.